Everybody look at this or listen to this. David Silver is back with Mind Rolling, the original Mind Roller. David. Good good day. Good day. Um, yeah, people like they 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 wait for your you know monthly or bi-monthly whatever it is happens to be podcast they absolutely ragu in, in the in the big league of hyperbole that <laughs> that is that is really the toppermost of the poppermost <laughs> nobody nobody's no. waiting for them. yeah they're no. waiting three people in in manitoba yeah, no, Glenn in London is. Oh, waiting. Glenn in London, yes. Hi, Glenn. Glenn. Hi, Glenn. Uh, Glenn. Uh, Glenn sends us the most wonderful material uh, on a week-to-week basis, helping in all sorts of ways, not just with the podcast, but with the foundation and projects we have. And uh, he suggested something today that we are going to get into a little bit. So I'm happy about that. And uh, but before. And one of the things that we, we do want to do, so David and I discovered uh, a Trungpa book, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who we love and we know in some people's uh, orbit, orbits is maybe he's a little uh, work, sex, money is the book, right? So some people think a little askance of him because he was a wild llama, I mean really wild, Uh but um, I, uh, he's one of my, and I'm speaking for you, David, right now, uh, yeah. most exceptional teachers of all time. And so we found this book. What is it? Sex, Money, and Work? Or work, Money, Sex, well, and Work? Well, Work, Sex, Money, in no particular order. But, it, yeah. Uh, you know, when we, when we first started doing Mind Rolling, Raghu uh, didn't make a rule, but it was kind of a rule that we didn't sort of, uh, exhort about things so we don't have kind of direct experience and you can define that any way you want but um it, the direct experience i had with trungpa was going to his events classes they were classes you know you just sat in a chair above you slight stage above you and yeah, 40 absolutely. or 50 people would sit and it was usually in vermont where i went uh tale to, of the tiger tale of the tiger right and um you know, even though it was a long time ago, uh, his effect on me was was really, you know, incisive. I mean, in, in profound. Every single class, you know, I come out thinking, God, I didn't know that. I, I, I really learned from this human being. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and and really took you outside of your rational mind of approaching spirituality. And and we'll tell. I found one thing: his his definition for spirituality in this book is worth the price of admission. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's uh, really but, great. Uh, but before we go there, and this is kind of tangential to uh, work, sex, money, uh, Dave. I found this crazy thing in the New York Times. It's just funny, everybody. And we used to do things for the end of the world. This is not anything for the end of the world. This is like, wow, there's somebody like this in the universe. Uh, so here's the heading. Judge John Hodgman. Do you ever, you see him in the, uh, in the New York Times magazine? You read the magazine. I, I do. I you don't know don't, Judge John? Oh, for God's I, sake. Forgotten. So, Maybe. so they write him a letter and they say, okay, you adjudicate this issue. Okay. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Right. right. Thank you. Yes. So Steve writes, <laughs> my girlfriend insists 
on going topless most of the time in our apartment. She's 24 <laughs> years old and beautiful, but I still feel she should save these displays for special occasions. Please order Mia to cover up. Okay, so now uh, Judge John is going to give his ruling, right? <laughs> he says, I predict you'll miss Mia's habit when she moves out, which she probably should be doing tomorrow. <laughs> in a romantic relationship, there's a presumed consent that you'll see each other casually naked on occasion. Bottom half nudity might trigger reasonable disagreement. Re. <laughs> furniture cleanliness and regardless of gender but everyone should feel free to go topless at home judge john wow if you can't get comfortable with that you you got to split up it'll be difficult yes but mia just might find another partner who can tolerate the sight of her body and you might discover what actual hardship is <laughs> <laughs> is that the greatest thing ever that is I mean, <laughs> I mean, that somebody actually writes the judge about that, number one. And number two is, like, really uptight about that is, holy God, what have we come to here? Uh, that, 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 is, that is really strained, <laughs> strained awareness. It's like, yeah. wow, man. Uh, you know. <laughs> strained awareness. That's a new thing you've coined. This is great. Strained well, awareness. I've never heard of I mean, yeah. The judge is very good there. I mean, he's very, the, the nuances are good because he says the bottom half display might be a bit, but <laughs> yeah, right. you know, not hygienic. Yeah, but, you very know, you know hygienic. Steve really must have had a, not much to do that day. No. <laughs> I mean, what? What? Okay, well. Uh, all right. So, yeah. Glenn, um, and we were talking about our buddy Glenn, and, and he suggested a couple of things because he saw. Uh, the Dalai Lama telling people, condemn the action and not the actor. So this led him to think, uh, and uh, and I think he was also, what else? He, Glenn Mullen. Oh, no, that was, a, yeah, that was another example of it. We won't get make this too complicated, but he said, well, so if Trump does some bad action, we quite rightly are quick to condemn it while struggling never to throw him out of or anyone out of our hearts, maybe throwing him out quickly and struggling to take him back in. Might, it sounds like it might be more re realistic. But if he does something good, are we quick, quick or slow to praise him? You know, like he pardoned Jack Johnson uh, and he has done something which supports the Tibetans politically, which, you know, those of us that are involved with consciousness are you know, so behind the Tibetan cause. So that would like, oh, wow, he did that. And he, uh, or do we distrust him, distrust him and his nefarious intentions and endgame so we can't ever allow him any credit? The results don't justify the intentions. And, and then he, he goes on and will just this one last thing. It, uh, it's a, a, a very, very well-known Tibetan Lama from the past, Jigme Lingpa, I believe he's not with us, counseled, it could be, yeah, I don't know, counseled that if the intention is good, the fruit of the action will be good. And this is around karma. This is actually the most important part of anything that we're talking about right here. If the intention is good, the fruit of the action will be good. But if the intention is negative, 
then the result will be negative, no matter how beneficial the outward action may appear. So uh, I mentioned this to to David the other day. Uh, I mean, he was written to as well, but he hadn't seen it. And what was your reaction? Well, my reaction was, of course he's got an ulterior motive, but because he hates China. And this is a direct punch in the face of China. But it's complicated because, you know, one president didn't meet with uh, His Holiness. Was it Obama? I know George W. met with him. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. I believe um, others have. And, me, and you know, this is actually much more important than meeting with him because he's actually made it so that Tibetans are not further oppressed by the Chinese machine. So it's a good action by Trump. Uh, I said to someone yesterday that the fact that Trump has promised and succeeded in cutting off all aid to Pakistan. Now, why is that a good thing? Because the money seems to be going to um, basically Al-Qaeda, ISIS, uh, people who have infiltrated the Pakistani government. And that's where it goes. It doesn't go to the people. So when Trump cut that off, those are the kind of executive actions that you can disagree with. But He's got every right to do that. And why did he do it? Because he said Pakistan was a festering ground for anti-American terrorism. And and that seems to be true um, from what I gather. Maybe not Pakistan, but Baluchistan and all those stands beneath between Pakistan and Stan. Afghanistan. The stands know. between Af and yeah. Pak. So, yeah, I mean, Glenn, you know, is, po- is pointing this out, um, I think, correctly is, you know, if he does something good, is it good no matter what? I'm really divided by this because I don't want this guy to succeed because if he continues to succeed in little discrete matters like that, he's going to be reelected and we're going to be basically screwed. So, you know, then you say, well, do you want him to fail and therefore the country and and et cetera to fail? I don't think the country is Donald Trump. Country is 300 and God knows how many million people who, you know, have their lives. Will he affect it badly if he's elected again? Yes. If he gets a second run at this and he's got no fear of, of, of not being reelected, he will do draconian things. We know that. It's a difficult problem. It's not easily solvable. Can, do, to, I mean, you can't live in a perpetual state of hatred and anger. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not one to speak about this because I've been completely, you know, negative about Trump since he was on that escalator coming down the gold escalator when he announced his candidacy. By the time he got to the bottom of the escalator, I was already in a rage. How could this fucking moron even think about this? I'm a New Yorker. I know about Donald Trump. People in Louisiana know nothing about it. That's what enrages me, that those of us that live in this fair city know that he's a a crook. So, (laughs) you know, that's a crook. He's a crook. I know people who work for him who weren't paid. Yeah. Um, So it's difficult. It's difficult. It's yeah. difficult to, you know, Can I, I say I, what you said, though? This isn't what you said when I mentioned this thing I, I, to you. I've grown. I've matured since then. i got to tell Give him. me a break. Come I, on. I, all right, what did I say? You Come said, on. are you kidding? There's a, I, screw Trump and screw it all. I can't go <laughs> on anymore pretending and putting a picture of him on my puja like Ram Dass. Uh, so I'm not doing that. I've had enough. That's kind of what it was like. This is why people are scared of you, because <laughs> you've got a good memory. Um, yeah, well, I was in that mood that day, you know. I mean, um, I'm in a slightly better mood today. <laughs> but, you know, I, I am tired of people, honestly, making excuses and normalizing his, his, his you know, sort of 
No, well, there, there's, you know, don't, it's not the actions. It's Ram Dass's thing. There's a soul yeah. there, no matter what. And yeah. to leave that part out is, is uh, crushing to one's own soul. Now, but I'm with you all the way. I haven't the hardest time getting anywhere near that. So I'm, I'm totally with you. I wanted to say, I, I, I could have said the same thing. Now, uh, you know what? I was watching Chris Matthews the other night, you know, on CNBC. And yes. in the middle of, and he's always tirade against Trump, yeah. right? The whole thing is a tirade against, I mean, I don't know how he'd live. Trump's right. He's supporting this guy and, and everybody else. And everybody the, else. Yeah. So, you know what he said at one point? He said, yeah, and tr look, Trump is a soul too. Okay, let's make that clear. Something like that. Yeah, it yeah. was really uh, terrific. So that's, yeah, that's how do we get there, Glenn? That's uh, you know we all don't. As you said, you don't. Th well, you don't throw anybody out of your heart, which comes from Neem Karoli Maharaj, and at the same time, uh, tell the truth. And the truth is, we do throw him out, and then we try and open up in any which way. <laughs> From, from that other place, which is very hard for us to access when we're triggered like this by this human being, and particularly... And by the way, people, this has nothing to do... Because we get occasional letters, David. Uh, you know, what? You have to be... Like, what do you think? you got to be a, a, a liberal to be spiritual, that kind of stuff, you know? And I'm like, this is not nothing to do with Republicans and Democrats and uh, that kind kind of thing although obviously where we feel there's not enough humanity in the republican party to care about uh, dispossessed and so on and so forth but you know at the same time uh i mean we really gotta look at uh that truth of this is a human being that is highly compromised. So, I mean, we talk about how do we get rid of our self-involvement, our self-cherishing. I mean, we're all doing what he is accused of doing, you know, the extreme narcissism. And we are all narcissists. And, uh, you know, it's the movie of me that we talked about a couple of podcasts ago or whatever. And, you know... So I guess to me, the only way to find a way in to all of this is to look at your own narcissism and, yeah. and go, okay, I'm human. Now with him, he's affecting us worldwide in a way that is so um, destructive that from that point of view, he must be stopped in any way possible. And not just him. There are other people around that... Oh. You know, like if the if he wasn't there and this Vice Pence got in now, all of a sudden, nothing would change that way. They would not rejoin the the uh, Paris Accord. You know, so I but I uh, that uh, I'm saying the only way in for me is to look at my own gigantic mm. self interest and have some <laughs> compassion for it. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck in it. So yeah, I I, I mean I, we are humans, so yeah, we. Have proclivities uh think about i mean a couple of people pointed out to me in the last year or so you know that uh if trump had not been elected and hillary had 
in 2016, none of these amazing um, outbreaks of of activism and uh, civil rights, women's rights, gay rights, all kinds of right rights would have become so powerful and so public because in in the liberal sort of centrist Obama, Clinton, Bill and Hillary thing, people just sort of feel that it's basically okay. They'll, they'll be protesting about whatever, but it's not, you know, we don't have a major, you know, sort of Hitlerite running the country. Trump and his and his gang have aroused, you know, amazing stuff. I mean, the House elected so many really good people. I mean, I watch TV and I, I watch these women who've come into the Congress who were just incredibly smart and and courageous and, yeah. and looking at life in a way that I was just thinking, my goodness, it's like being in 1968 in some ways. That it's it's Nixon and the Vietnam War aroused our generation to to go to the streets and to to form all kinds of things which helped. They did. They moved things along a little better, I think, for this, oh, yeah. you know, for the health of the planet. And that's what's happening now, and it's painful right now. And and those poor children who are separated from their parents—that's traumatic and evil. It's traumatic. It's just awful. So God knows, it's a, it's impossible to sort of make a kind of adjudication as to whether this is good or bad or yeah. terrible or horrible. There's some good coming from it which I don't think you're one that has to be a wish fulfillment type of person to, to recognize. I recognize it because, you know, um, people are talking about things now. They're really talking about, you know, what, whatever, what will our grandchildren experience? What kind of air will they breathe? And we know the air is worse now than it was two years ago because of him and these crooks that he put into the EPA. They're all crooks. That's, I'm just simple on this. You know, and I forgive a crook if he comes. I used to know a real bad crook. And he used to come in a real bad one. And he used to really? come to my house all the time and ask me to read from from Corinthians to him. What, wait, wait. <laughs> what True what story. did he do? Tell me the story. Well, I can... I, I mean, after all these years, I don't know that story. I want to know, you uh, know. He was a gentleman who, who was involved in some extremely violent behavior in Colombia. And, and how did uh, you meet him? I met him by chance through a mutual friend. And... Um, we became friends. I didn't know anything about him. He just was introduced to me and he was so affable and friendly and, and wonderful and funny and spiritual. Really? And uh, mm-hmm. yes. And then I found out what he sort of did for a living, sort of. uh, which was to remove some people from the planet oh. on a regular basis. Oh, holy now, shit. You know, he talked to me about it heavily at the time and said, you know, if, if do you actually look at me and think that, I'm not, I shouldn't, you shouldn't be talking to me. And I said, no, not when I'm with you. But sometimes when I'm not with you, I, I get shudders down my spine about it. You know, that you, you've done such things. And, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, it's, it, 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 it's similar to Trump in a way, because this guy's actually worse than Trump, you know, because he's killed people. But, you know, he was, he needed something that I supplied him. I would talk to him about Ramana Maharshi and show him pictures of, of, of the saint and of other saints. And he totally appreciated it. There's a giant I mean, dichotomy was, there as a chasm well, though. Salabi. How did he, how did he, Salabi. he never said to you, well, you know, it was, I don't know, self-defense. <laughs> no, he, he wasn't proud of what he did and it was not self-defense. Uh, but he, he went to jail for 12 years and, and he was no longer doing it when he was around you. No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, Jesus. God. He wasn't living in my house. I'd see him like 
three times a year. And I never asked him anything, <laughs> particularly after I found out. But, you know, yeah, right. It, it makes it may sound kind of funny, but, um, you know, uh, it, it taught me a lesson in a way, you know, it's like, OK, well, should I just go to the cops or should I just not allow him in here? Or am I just scared that if I don't allow him in here, he'll be angry with me? And, you know, it was, it was very complex. Mm. And I think that the thing with Trump is 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 very difficult because he is never going to meet us and we're never going to be able to look at him and go, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's different when it's a friend or an acquaintance or someone you come into contact with that you just can't stand. That's that's much more real to me. as Visceral. Yeah. 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 I mean, someone who just you just it, there's no right about it. It's, I mean karmic maybe you in some past life or some five million past lives you had a, tr a problem with this person you still haven't solved this particular issue mm. it, within yourself do you know within yourself yeah do you know that uh in india a criminal is called a decoit i think you know yes that. yes and one really bad one came to have maharaji nimkaroli baba's darshan and he Maharaj he stepped in the room and Maharaji rattled off all this bad bad shit that he did. How could he know all that? And the guy fell apart. That he became a great devotee. He just and never lifted a finger after that. So yeah, how do we know anything? And you well, know, you know, I I have to actually talk about that exactly because um, this gentleman has been out of jail for five years now and I know what he's doing and he's living a very um, humble life and is extremely part of a community and is, is, has dropped all that. Uh, when I knew him, I don't know whether he dropped it or not, but now I know he has because I had news of him. He's been out for a while. And, um, you know, you forgiven, forgiveness is, 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 is part of it, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah right. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge part of it, really. And, uh, you know, but it, it, that's extreme. What about when someone really ostensibly is 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 driving you crazy at work or play or whatever? Um, Relationship yeah. or money? So we have found the answer. Work, yes. sex, money. Real life on the path of mindfulness. Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Thank you. And, uh, you know, these were taken at the... Just when he came back from or came to America from Scotland, and uh, they um, were talks that he gave actually in '71, two like that, and uh, you know transcribed and put into this book. But uh, let me just can I just read one thing that started because I, I can said, I just can I can I just ask you a favor? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, please, what we're going to do. But the way I'd, I would hope we could do this is you initiate something that you've noted. Yeah. And talk about, it. and then I'll find it in the book because I've, you know, sort of highlighted everything that oh, okay, I haven't great. extrapolated from that. So I have to go to that little section, and so right. I'll. I'll, I'll Do you, I don't know, but sharing with our listen listeners our modus operandi to do the podcast is. <laughs> well, it's not. It's an unusual case because it took me a while to read this book, and I, I did it very carefully, but I didn't actually make notes that I can refer to. Right. That's right. Okay. Well, uh, but David and I were talking before we got on, and I said. Jesus, so much in here that's beyond anything around work, sex, money. It's it's around how to live right, period. And in this particular passage, which is right, it's it's actually in the introduction, David, 
okay. uh, from Carolyn Gimeon. And oh. she just talks about um, how in 73, Trump replied to a letter from someone he'd never met with these comments about his personal life in which he explains the meaning of meditation in action. And he basically puts it in one paragraph, a perspective from which to engage your life where there is not other, there's not spirituality, and then there's work, there's money, there's relationships and all of that. He comes at it from the most unique and makes it simple in a way. And here's, here's what he himself said. With, regu- with regard to your inquiry about my lifestyle. Now, he, for those of you who don't know, he had a, a, a rather unorthodox lifestyle. I mean, I consider that he truly was a free being. Uh, I, you know, in, in my meetings with him and, and being around him, uh, and at the same time, his incarnation was in some kind of process. He's still processing, perhaps. I wouldn't know. But, you know, he, this is what he, but he says that here. That's why this is so incredible. Okay. With regard to your inquiry about my lifestyle, you must understand that I regard myself as an ordinary person. I am a householder who makes mortgage payments. I have a wife and three children whom I support. At the same time, my relationship with the teachings is inseparable from my whole being. I do not try to rise above the world. My vocation is working with the world. There is a fundamental idea which refuses to divide things into this or that, sacred or profane, right or wrong. That is why I write and speak of meditation in action. It's much easier to appear holy than to be sane. The greatest thing in the whole book is that. So the the idea is to separate spirituality from spiritual materialism. This requires a practice and some courage. I mean, just fantastic, really. I'd rather be sane than holy. You know? Anyhow, the wonderful whole thing. Is, the whole book, you're right. That, that, that the book revolves around that. That what, what, what you just read, you know, that he's he was. I mean, when I when I encountered him, I never spoke to him actually. I never anything like spoke to him. You know, I was in my late twenties and I just sat there and was quiet, and um, all kinds of things would happen, like energy blasts from him and from people there. Uh, it wasn't, it was quiet, but all sorts of stuff would go on. There would be debates, there would be arguments, you know, people would defy him. One guy in particular, I remember in, in Vermont, you know, really sort of defying him. And his demeanor was so amazing because he always had a bit of a smile on his face. And we should tell people that when you met Trungpa, he was usually dressed in a very nice brown Harris Tweed sports jacket, gray slacks, a tie and a starch white shirt and brogue shoes, shiny ones, and his hair was well-kempt, and he wore glasses. And, you know, he certainly was clearly a Tibetan, but I, he, there were no robes around. 
In mm-hmm. fact, to my memory, there was no iconography around. There was nothing around. There was just, you know, we did it in a church, and there was a simple, quiet room. And he spoke in this very um, uh, quiet but firm voice. And my experience with him was just, you know, my self-awareness would as, w- would grow exponentially after one of those sessions. Um, I know a lot of people don't accept Trungpa for all kinds of reasons, which I, I'm not really that acquainted with, but I don't really much care about that because I know my direct experience, to get back to that of him, was one of leaps and bounds, leaps and bounds. It was like Ramdas. It was very parallel with Ramdas, that these two gentlemen knew things that I had not yet graduated to, and therefore they inculcated in me a sense of self-awareness and a sense of how not to judge and how to be as fully aware as you could be of your own um, mirrorings of things that you thought were bad or inferior to you out there that were deeply within and really, really sort of inset in you. You know, like, my God, you had to dig them out with the, 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 the shovel. And I've always thought of it as like, Trungpa always made bells go off in my head. Mm, Still right. do, yeah. you know, whereby, you know, I'd, I'd be saying something or judging something and then realizing, bing, ding. And Trungpa at one point had gone, be very careful that you think that person is worse than you for whatever reasons. Maybe you have two degrees. Maybe you have a Jaguar. Maybe you have a house with seven bedrooms. Are you better? Think about it. You're just judging this person. And it it would just happen like that, like incredibly useful. And this book is like that. You know, I, I mean, I actually could go randomly in here and find things Pretty much anywhere. Anywhere. I know, that that's it, what I said. You know, you, I was pulling stuff and then I kept, well, geez, I can't mark every damn page with something I'm, you know, I was interested in everything. It's, well, it's I really mean, here's good. one, here's a random one on page 74. Mm-hmm. When we say that spirituality has to be aimless, this is saying that spirituality is recognizing that unlimited and that unlimited energy. From that, you begin to develop a clear and precise understanding of nowness. Now is everything. Whatever you do in this very moment is everything. It's the past. It's the future. It's now. So you develop tremendous confidence that what you are doing is true and honest and absolutely realistic. And that gets back to what you were saying, Raghav. I'd rather be sane than than holy. Holy. Realism is his thing that, you know, and it's so interesting because people think that Buddhism, we don't know, is very, very airy-fairy and very based on visualization and knowing... Okay, you can't talk about Buddhism saying airy-fairy, okay? Hinduism is airy-fairy. Well, no, I don't totally agree with that because, I mean, if you read read various, you know, you'll come across all this stuff about, you know, deities and the normal, non-knowledgeable person about these paths would say that's just fairy tales. What are you talking about? Tell me about how to, how to... not beat my child, um, oh, you know, or Jesus do something. Dear. No, really, it, I need practical stuff so that I go to Buddhism. Well, it could be I your wife go. or your husband. Okay, leave children out of this. Okay. Well, you know, people. You know, for I centuries, know, know. millennia, yeah, people would give their clout on the top of the head to the kid that was getting out of hand, and that's not good. But it's by no means unusual. Hey, here's uh, something. Uh, this repeats what you just said. Every move we make on the physical level has spiritual significance. That may sound airy-fairy. You just said that, but it oh. is so. <laughs> when I speak about spirituality, 
here, I am not referring to anything pious or religious. Here, spirituality means the truth, the isness of the natural facts of life. The isness of the natural facts. See, this is, I think, why both of us love him so much, because he gets it down to the most practical application possible and mental view or perspective, uh, philosophically, uh, emotionally, heart, everything, just from the isness, the reality of truth. And that's all he's after. He doesn't care from nothing else. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, and, and then, so he says, so the work in our relationship with work, our, our, that's on page 48. This sounds like we're... In, all right, now turn to your hymnal. Well, it's where, we should sing some songs. Well, well they'll have to be Jewish, I guess. I was going to say Christian. Uh, so, so work and our relationship with work are based both on our state of mind and how and on how we relate to the earth. Meditative awareness is very important to this. We can describe meditation in terms of taking a leap. Who have you ever heard of anything, any teacher ever saying, describing meditation in terms of taking a leap? Taking a leap means experiencing the openness of space. You can take this kind of meditative leap while you are working. Okay, let's try and digest that. What does that say to you? Well, it, a little further down in that paragraph, he says, you don't have to try to hold on to this or try to bring it about deliberately. Just the pure acknowledgement of that state is enough. Acknowledge the vast energy of openness. Just flash on it. Just acknowledge it. Flash on it for a second. And those two are tied in because he's saying, you know, if you just allow yourself this and don't get, you know, weird with yourself if you can't achieve it at any given time, but when it comes, take that glimpse. And then... Uh, all of the spiritual materialism and the dogma and the guilt about not knowing all the sutras and all of this will not be that relevant. So, because in, um, you know, so he's saying, flash on it for a second, yeah, and, and it'll get, and then it'll get more. There'll be more glimpses. There'll and he says, glimpses. ignore it after that. Okay? Yes, which yes. is is very important. But what are we talking about? Vast energy of openness. What are we talking about? Well, it's okay when you go to when you go to the Scottish Highlands or you go to the Grand Canyon or you go to the Alps or somewhere or the Himalayas, and you stand alone and you see this vast thing in front of you. You are actually that, and on the physical level, you're seeing maybe hundreds of miles of of Earth, not just you know your TV. The 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 correlative of that, I think, spiritually and philosophically, is that you are in that second you are you are actually acknowledging that a vast universe lives within and without you, and that all your absolutely petty anxieties and desires and guilts and fears disappear in that moment because you realize, whoa, I'm just this little one amongst this vast consciousness that's constantly changing and it's never the same. And this moment of now is, is unique. Boy. He's saying if you acknowledge that and flash on it and you make a practice of it, if you like, without becoming obsessive, you're not going to fall into the into the pit of, 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 the, of the me movie anymore. Uh, yes, you will, but you'll practice and you'll come out of it quicker. You'll say, okay, that's ridiculous. In this moment, I am aware of the fact that I'm part and parcel of 
the divine. And, and, and to go around saying that, well, that's another matter. I, I don't do that myself because when you say it to people, they think you're either sort of becoming didactic and, and, and so on, or sort you're of. mad, or you're <laughs> mad, completely mad. David, you're sitting here in a car on your way to see, you know, the New York Rangers. I mean, that's what you're really doing. Yeah, yeah. But non-attachment is about both doing what you're doing within your karmic envelope, within the exquisite karma, which is the conditions of your life and the internal goings on of your of your individual incarnation, doing that simultaneously with capturing and recognizing those moments that interrupt that. Mm. And suddenly, my goodness, oh my God, I was really worried about that particular thing and now I realize it's just empty space. And especially in in relationship with work, which is what, uh, of course, one of the main topics here that he's bringing up in this book. And I think that sense of openness, the energy of openness, I think that it means also that we stop being so consistent with our judgment and choices, thinking, uh, okay, uh, if you start to realize that many times your motives are so self-referential, they're so self, as the Buddha say, cherishing, that there's no way that you can actually be open in the situation. And I mean to make the right decision in terms of a work-related situation. So that sense of the energy of openness is, you know, you go into a meeting sometimes and... Um, especially for me in the nonprofit world where I've been in, on boards and am on, you see people really coming from... There's supposed to be a unified idea that we are doing this in service of whatever the mission is. And then you see people so invested in their own uh, belief in rightness and righteousness and and so on that uh, it becomes just this uh, horrible experience of 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 people in conflict and in that same way in just in you know in other work situations the the more that you think you're the only one that knows the right thing and the more that uh, your judgments and considerations are coming from a self-preservation place that is not open. That is not the energy of openness. So the energy of openness, and the way I hear it, is, and he says, it takes courage because you're giving up your story. You're giving up what you believe is truth, in a relative truth. And you're not accessing intuitive uh, truth in, inside, the, which is you know, the real connective place where we all connect into. And so that to me is an energy of, of openness. And, and he talks about it. Uh, he says that re openness here, and he, this is his translation, is refers to a meditative state of simplicity or lack of complication. The absence of complications becomes simplicity. Within simplicity, there's room to do things, to move about. This is true of everyday actions as well as formal meditation itself. And that I think that's, you know, that uh, is what I just mentioned. I believe he's speaking of here when he says the absence of complications. 
And that's all of the, the choice and judgment complications that we have in our minds all the time, which get in the way of simple and direct uh, acknowledgement of reality and truth. Um, and, uh, you know, just the, the openness that you don't hold on to anything anymore. You talked about that before. Once you acknowledge this, you don't hold on. You ignore it. So you start to have a relationship with that place that you talked about. When you go to the Alps, you feel the gigantic nature and interconnection of everything, especially nature. Nature is a great way, a great meditation that way, to relate with this sense of openness, obviously. I mean, I never forget being in, the first time I saw the close-up, fairly close-up, like 75 miles by the crow, the 28, 9,000 foot peaks in the Himalayas and everything stops and you feel, talk about a sense of openness and how to bring that into your daily life is, is how to stop the complications that we have uh, with our minds. Yeah, the openness also, he talks about that you know, very in a very down-to-earth way about the way we work together and in jobs and projects and even regular jobs that people last for 50 years and or something, but any kind of project that you're working with other people. And he talks about the fact that uh, if you're not open, no matter who you are, you can be the CEO of CEOs, you know, uh, to all the other people in the room who are human and involved in the same project to get the thing done. I found this very much in the film world. Um, sometimes there's someone in the room who absolutely will not relent. And, you know, and again, that requires discrimination because sometimes they are right and, that, and, and you're wrong and you have to go, okay, he's being or she's being arrogant, but I realize now that this is true. Yeah. I came into this meeting thinking one thing, now this person's convinced me of them. But he's not really talking about that. He's talking about the people are, can be very, very, very um, insensitive to other people's being in the room. And if you believe in interconnectedness, then you're hurting yourself tremendously too. So, you know, I, I found a, a pack, uh, some passage somewhere. He uh, says, if no real sanity is expressed and preserved in the working situation, then the notion of genuine hierarchy or any respect for authority falls apart together immediately. In other words, once you start, um, I mean, even more, he talks on the same page, which I'll quickly go to. Falling back into habitual patterns of this kind creates a problem for everyone in the office. Even if there's a lot of prosperity and working capital, if the staff members don't feel enough trust, they will also express the boss's insanity. You begin to find that the entire business establishment goes berserk, and he uses that word, during working hours. In the evening, when you go home, you might take a shower, change your clothes, go out to eat in some civilized place. You might go to a party or you might give a talk to some group or you might have to meet with one of your clients or even a meditation student. In any case, you try to change your mask. That whole setup becomes ludicrous, he says, because it's, it's kind of a, a, a schizophrenia of kinds. You know, it's like you put on this mask to go in and you treat people not the way you want to be treated yourself and certainly probably not the way you treat your family. So, you know, he's saying that work is a microcosm of one's own relation to all the rest of sentient beings. And that, you know, it, it, you can't really, you, you can't be a bastard 
of the workplace. It's a little bit different for like Winston Churchill or something, trying to beat a little thing called the Nazis. You know, I don't think he was that patient with people, you know, because he was fighting a war where every second counted to beat these demons from hell. I think you have to make exceptions for certain things that he knew what to do. Obviously, they would have lost the war if Churchill's leadership had not put them in a certain place. I mean, it's a strange analogy because it's war and everything. But in general, 99% of the cases that I've been in, in film meetings, for instance, you know, I, I've been guilty of it going, I know what to do. I've made my notes. I'm going to go and then I'm going to tell everybody what we're going to do. And then Absolutely. one person will say, but David, are you sure that you can shoot all that in one day? You're doing like 14 different scenes. And behind that in parentheses is, are you fucking crazy, David? <laughs> You're not going to be able to do that. What's the matter with you? Are you I mean, are you, are you drunk? And mm -hmm. it, they won't say that, but that's the implication. And nine times out of 10, they're right. In my experience, if someone really believes it and has the guts to talk to the you know, so-called authority or th authoritarian figure in the room and say, I don't think that's right, man. Mm -hmm. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And you've got to be open to the fact that you could be completely wrong and fool yourself. Yeah. I think that's what it, part of what he's saying. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What do you have around course, sex, by the way? What? So, sex. Right, I missed you. <laughs> Sex, sex. Well, sex, yeah. Well, I like uh, it's a good thing. Um, it, yeah, he's good on sex, you know. I mean, he I, he he talks about the fact that you know you, you can't. What does he say? Really, you tell me. You're a bigger expert on this than I. Oh yeah, right. Uh, well, he <laughs> he talks about really uh, celibacy. He says only applicable to certain types of people. Not many people can achieve passionlessness by totally denying the expression of passion. Most people are still left with the desire to expre express their passion physically. If we don't embrace this orthodox discipline, how do we manage our passion? And he, so he suggests the whole other view of passion and relationship, which takes another approach to the subtlety of the basic primeval energy we were talking, he talked about in the previous chapter. We could yeah. call this second approach working with pure passion. So this is his core around this issue. In many ways, pure passion is just passion in the ordinary sense, but at the same time, it's what's called Vajra passion indestructible vajra is indestructible in nature it is wild passion so that it has no egoistic networks or wire mesh around it it is free passion wild passion unleashed passion it is passion that hasn't been directed by any sort of switchboard it's more powerful than the ape-like quality and the ape-like quality is possession right passion mm. with possession uh, mm. that uh, many relationships, shall we say, have that quality to them. Um, it contains qualities of sparkling light, a wisdom quality as well. Because who's ever heard about passion talked about this way? It has tremendous consuming energy which does not pass through any filters or networks. That kind of, of passion, whether it is connected with sex or anything else desirable, that arises in life is genuinely wild passion. Ego and its intelligence are living in a world that does not acknowledge any other dimensions. So it's a distinctly right away, this kind of passion is not is coming through heart, 
and intuition. It is not coming through mind and ego. And the way that we direct ourselves to fulfill desires of passion is is uh, ego point of view. And so uh, I think it's pretty great where he gets and he destructs, he destructs that concept of that our our relationship with sex is based on uh, ego and uh, it's false uh, because it's got uh, it's so polarized into um, gratification mm. you know so this is why he, what he's coming up with again is the theme of the whole book and the theme of everything he ever wrote about meditation in action Mm. And that's the relationship, uh, and he's calling it uh, Vajra passion. You know, it's really uh, yeah, it's great. I love that expression, Vajra passion. You know, I mean, it it is true that he, you know, nobody really knew what his life was like. Actually, people have made all kinds of suppositions about it, but he was obviously someone who was unpredictable in many ways, and in this thing he's saying that's not really what he was talking about he was talking about you know being as one with your partner is like being as one with the universe and with god and what does that mean being as one well it can mean it can mean you know uh, obviously uh sexual intercourse or sexual behavior but he's also saying that that passion can be transmuted and transformed into a tremendous sensitivity like an overwhelming sensitivity to the oneness between you and that, that you won't upset that by suddenly throwing in some ego dream or possessive, uh, not passion, but obsession. And, you know, I mean, he's, he was a human being, and I'm sure he went through stages about this because he was not celibate, and he was living in America, and he was living at a time when people were, you know, talking about free love and the destruction of the, of the marriage setup. And he talked about that a lot in his in his classes. Yeah. And he talks about it here. He does. He talks about it. He says, you know, you just can't be irresponsible about this. It's not, you know, he wasn't that into the hippie thing. You know, he really wasn't. He loved the, the idea of liberation and togetherness. But he also thought it was lazy and irresponsible. He talks about it many times in the book, both sexuality and in terms of work, work as both parallels to all of your life and all of your experience and all of your behavior with other people and other creatures so i think he was really you know just talking about oneness i mean we have to yeah. probably um because there are many people who do not know anything about chogyam trungpa rinpoche right he uh he absolutely engaged in extramarital activities yeah. on a regular basis he was but upfront about it there was nothing hidden like you hear about all these gurus and Finally, the news comes out, you know, nothing like that. That was in the moment. Everybody knew everything. And uh, so he wasn't hiding anything. But still, of course, especially in this age of Me Too, being a teacher, um, the people can look askance at that. And uh, that's fair. I have no idea. I, I again say my own meeting with him. I felt he was free of that kind. If, if he had attachments, they were way more subtle than anything I could detect. Mm -hmm. And he was free of that kind of uh, being bound by anybody's thinking about him in any way. And um, 
and I think he was in tune with the universal one, whichever thing you want to, Buddha mind, whatever you want to call the damn thing. He was in tune, and mm-hmm. I, um, I don't believe that he, he could hurt anybody. He could only help people in the, uh, through, through the teaching of the every moment that he was living. And uh, that's my belief. Other people have other beliefs yeah, about him. I do. mean, we, we got shit mail a long time ago, Dave, when you and I talked about yeah. Trump. I lead people. Ram Dass used to get a lot of shit about this because he spent a lot of time with Trump mm. and in, in the early days, in the early 70s. And um, uh, he would get shit about it. He actually, mm. so everybody out there, and I know uh, on Mind Rolling show notes, uh, we'll, we'll get this done where there was, on Ramdas Here and Now, I think I put out, I'm pretty sure I put out a couple of talks, and one in particular, Ramdas gave a talk about Trumpa and people thinking, you know, he actually said, yeah, people think I'm c- completely nuts for mm-hmm. saying anything good about him. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you what my experience was, and he goes and he relates that, and it is the most clear uh, view of Trungpa that uh, I've heard anybody, especially someone like this, you know, talk about him. Uh, but, uh, you know, there has been, I mean, there's a whole, um, you know, there's been a scandal in the last year with Shambhala mm. and uh, the teachers and, and his son, who isn't him and his son thought he could be him, I guess, because he was, you know, there was a lot of uh, sexual misadventures that hurt people. Uh, so, you know, I mean, karma is there and God knows only God knows. I have no idea. Uh, well, but you, yeah. So I just I, thought I, we I, had to say, say no, you, that. We, we do. And I'm glad you did. I, I mean, I, I didn't encounter him a million times, but I kind of, I don't even know how many times I was in his, presence but it wasn't as a friend or as a it was you know as a tailor as a student in front of him and um i never suspected any of this now what does that mean it means that i got his teachings i sometimes go up to um hastings on the hudson to the westchester buddhist center and it's a beautiful thing uh, in a beautiful place with terrific teachers and for beginners meditation beginners and and others and they have great courses and everything they, they teach specifically from Trungpa's teaching. Hmm. I mean, I didn't know that when I first went there. But then the second time I went there, they showed a long or 45-minute class that Trungpa gave, a, a video. And then I read somewhere in their literature that they were adherents and devotees, if you like, or certainly part of the lineage of Trungpa Rinpoche. And they, they, they're great. So the question is, his teaching is remarkable. And no one can deny that. But it's, it's like saying, okay... I really love, you know, um, Led Zeppelin, but I really, you know, they were not nice people. Okay, so don't buy the records or buy the records and don't pay any attention to the fact that whatever they were, they were making a certain kind of music which did something for you. The teaching of Trungpa did a lot for me and all that other stuff about I'm not ever going to justify it or say it's right or wrong, but the teaching is right. So you can say, well, he's a hypocrite. Who the fuck cares? He's dead. <laughs> I mean, all right wait a minute now I, no i don't i i'm stick to this i i, I love well first of all roman i love roman polanski's films Jeez. he ain't dead okay wherever well, he is now 
in terms of death wasn't he was re he's reincarnated i don't know is there a tulku for trump or rinpoche that's an interesting thought. I don't well, know, that. I know. No, I, but but I mean, not. it's not like he's here and we're going to have trials and and you right. know he's not running for office and you know it's it's he never denied that he did this and his teachings are as pure as, as driven snow. I, I I don't know. I have to differ. I think that if I had not met him and experienced him that way, getting you know gut total intuitive gut thing with him. Yeah, which uh, I got. Yeah. I don't know if I would have taken, if I could take the teachings quite the way that I have for all these years. I don't well, know. I'm, I, you know, fine, but I'm, you know, that's I, I don't know exactly what I feel about this because I read the books and I, I remember him and I learn stuff, and you know, I don't go out. That's enough, it. right? It's enough say. for me, you know. Yeah. It's it's like it's like Dayenu. <laughs> You know, I, I, I think Mel Gibson's made incredible movies. I know this sounds like a trivial thing, but I think Mel Gibson is a really great director, as a matter of fact. He's done some remarkable, fa fabulous, transformative movies. He has. The fact that he, he was a bit of a churl, you know, and his father was an anti-Semite does not thrill me. But, you know, I feel the same way about Polanski. I feel the same way about Woody Allen. I love them as directors, and I'm in the yeah. film game. All right, well, we, but we can't. This this is this uh, transcends that, although I get the point. Uh, but I hear you, and I'm. I don't know totally... whether it transcends it; it's beneath it, I think. But you know, it, it, no, it, no, I mean Trungpa. You know, when we're talking about somebody oh, who has yeah. this kind of influence on people, um, but, but isn't I, the reason people are against him is entirely about that, rather than his teachings? Absolutely, they don't say, they don't say his teachings. His teachings are great, but he was horrible. No, no, they absolutely say it's all bullshit because he lived that lifestyle. And that immediately is in their minds convicts them. Um, it, it, listen, uh, yeah, it's it's a reality. But I I honor what you're saying. I don't give a shit. I'm getting these teachings that have really done something in my life, mm -hmm. and I I'm saying I'm not sure if I hadn't met him if it would have had the same effect. But listen, everybody out there, to this is his thing. I mean, we're talking about sex, one of the most difficult subjects. For uh, for anybody, but particularly Westerners, we are so hung up on you know, it's it's very difficult. Uh, so he talks. So he's talking about um, what uh, the the pure passion and the Vajra passion, and and then he starts to talk about um, you know that passion has a a, a wildness and a freedom, uh, and usually when we think of that, we t think of animal or ape like quality. We think of something like a gorilla escaping from the zoo. However, it's a description of ego's compassion. If you really let loose properly, however, this basic nature is comparable to the gorilla in the wild, not the one in the zoo. All right? at, the, uh, at the stage before it has ever been captured, before it has ever been put in a cage, as though it were still in the primeval state of roaming in the jungle, and that's the keyword primeval state. If you are really, if you really let that primeval aspect of passion loose, it isn't going to destroy anyone, because that passion has a balanced state of being as per, part of its natural instinct. Mm. I mean, that is, 
that to me, I believe he was living that, okay? I do believe he was living what he's talking about. If our approach to sex, he says, or anything else in our life is connected with that primeval quality, we find there's a possibility of wonderful, skillful communication. At the Mm. beginning of such communication, we wouldn't feel self-conscious as we do with the neurotic, ego-oriented approach. If at first, at the very starting point, you are completely natural and open, then in the process that follows, you won't feel any self-conscious inhibition. In that case, you'll find that your process of communicative meeting and seeing the qualities of your partner is quite extraordinary. Uh, and it just and I think would you agree that all of us at one point in our lives have had that exp- prime uh, experience of prime primordial passion, primordial passion, free vajra passion, and you're not in your mind and you're not in any kind of polarized judging. You know, you are in the Tao. I yeah, think we've I, all had that. So I, I, he's extending that to a practice, meditation in action, of actually, once you become aware of that, it's like the whole thing about openness, space. Once you beca- become aware of it, you ignore it. You don't, you're not thinking about it. But once you are, you know, so then it does its own, it has its mm-hmm. own propulsion, that, that uh, passion. I think it's uh, beautifully said. Yeah, and I think he suggests that you get better at it, which is why it's a practice. Yeah, you know that once you start, kind of stopping the object. I mean, His Holiness has written quite a bit about the possessive nature of romantic love, you know, and and that he believes that much of it is the idea of mirroring yourself and possessing something which you approve of, and which you're attracted to, but will if it if it doesn't have that vajra passion, it will wear off, and then jealousy and various forms of mania creep in and then marriages become difficult and then they can resolve themselves if they're honest about it and want to resolve it and i you know that makes sense to me i mean in other words when i was a young dude i didn't think that way i thought okay i I fell in love this is it and we just great you know we'll stick together and i'll never want anything else as i grew older i understood that that was not a permanent condition necessarily and that as you became more involved with someone it, 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 it did not have vajra passion it had lust or it had obsession or jealousy yeah. and, and possessiveness mainly, you know, because yeah. he does talk about it. He talks about it too. He says, yeah. no, possessiveness is not, you know, it, it, he's talking about a sane attitude towards, towards a, a, a real need, yeah. a, need to, a need to have um, either a sexual experience with someone or a parallel to sexual experience, which could be enormous empathy and, and love streaming out of two people that, that is, is, it hardly needs words. Yeah. It may not need any physical connection. Yeah, and it re- just talks about that beautifully. Yeah. And how, yeah, that reinforces the connectivity that, at our deepest level, we do have. My favorite part of the book actually is the last part, which is the money part. I really liked it. It really meant a lot to me about the use of money and the way people can use it marvelously. And also, it is nothing but the a real great entry to, into. Um, into balance in your life or complete imbalance and he puts he talks about it in terms of imperialism not political but that people want to build empires and have people admire them and it gets bigger and bigger and it's never satisfied and there's this huge maw that you have that has to be fed all the time more and more and more 
to become, you know, uh, you know, someone competing with a Jeff Bezos or not even someone that just someone, you know, and he says that is not necessary in the use of money. Money can be a wonderful, amazing, symbolic tool. <laughs> he calls which, it, uh, you know, he's great about this regarding money as mother's milk. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh, well, all the way, uh, we don't have enough time. We could get, this is ours. I mean, this book has so much stuff in it. Uh, the, the last chapter, though, uh, I mean, just for every, anybody, of course, we're going to have a link. You can get the book, you can get the book from Amazon, but we'll have a link so you don't have to think about anything. Um, and the very last chapter I believe is karma and that I yeah. have, uh, I, th I'm working on a, on a course, Dave, I don't know if I told you this, uh, around for be here now network around, uh, getting real and the wisdom of karma. And, mm -hmm. and I saw all this wonderful stuff because, you know, I've talked to a lot of our friends, you know, our Buddhist friends, and it all came from Robert Svoboda's book. Uh, you know Ro Robert, right? Yeah. And yeah. Robert, yeah. Uh, the third book in the Agora trilogy is called The Law of Karma, and his guru, Vimalananda's uh, oh. view of that is so extraordinary. And, of course, Trungpa... Uh, Everything he has to say about this is so right on. It's just fantastic. But uh, we we probably have to come back to this at some point. It's so you know great. after that chapter, this panoramic awareness, which is oh even, right, right. You know, he says basically he says meditation in action is just as important as sitting meditation. Therefore, the panoramic awareness that you strive for or not strive for that you occasionally encounter because of your practice, you know, is just that. It's it's this vast awareness is this this accessible. And and karma is, I think, the way he puts it, karma for a moment, you know, just becomes an invisible force, you know, because you've gone to that place and you've recognized it. And it's he, I mean, he's great on the business of, on the business of of integrating, if you like, philosophy with daily life. You know, how, how do you, how do you do it? Well, he tells you how to do it. Yeah, no, yeah. In, in <laughs> not only in this book, but everything he ever wrote, which yeah. means a lot more to me than 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 just sort of dry stuff. He says in this book also that you know you you don't have to um, read everything and know everything uh, that's been written about something and have all the details if that's not your path. That you know, for some people, it's very satisfying to, to do that. But I mean, the bottom line in this book about every subject that he's talking about about spiritual, what is the spiritual, what is spirituality versus. All of it, it goes back to that first thing I, I read, quoted from him, which basically, I'll, I'll interpret it a little bit, I'd rather be sane than full of shit. Yeah. Right? Holy. Yeah. He calls it holy. Yeah. So in order to do that, in order to create this kind of spaciousness that he's talking about, meditation in action, is, uh, is the uh, realization through mindfulness of... Uh, the attachment we have to our thoughts and our stories, period. So that's where we, uh, his teachings are, are really visceral in that way to cut through. He's got another great book called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, everybody. Um, well, we got to go. I got to go. Yeah, I, mean, I got to watch. I'm, I want to watch the Lakers, okay? Enough well, it's of this. better than watching me. I, I'm not going to watch the Lakers, but I, I may actually, believe it or not, go and find that other book he did about med just meditations in the title. Meditation you know, everything, in Everything he action. ever wrote. 
is that the name of the book? A little, so. a little, little Shambhala book. I yeah. highly recommend to people those little oh, Shambhala. Oh yeah, the little. They're big as yeah. your hand. Yeah. And they're 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 just fun. some of them are thick, by the way. They're not all little thin. Recommend those. Yeah. Um, they're just yeah. Great. You carry them where, well nowadays, of course, you can have it right on your phone. So what are we? But they're cute. They're, they're nice. So you cute. Can, they're nice. And the phone screw the phone. Mm, yeah. I'm sick of reading things on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> like books again, you know, books, books. Yeah, yeah, that's happening too. Well, thank you for hanging out with me. It's great. I like it. I, I, are we done? I mean, there's other things to talk about. Like we can Yeah, talk about. no, the sponsor the, this won't allow us more than, you know, the really? allotted time. Are you serious? Uh, no, I want to watch the Lakers. Okay. <laughs> I told you. That's why we did it earlier. See, okay. I believed you. I, 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 I you know, there's <laughs> the a sponsors. Trump, wherever you are, you just saw a great example of, you know, <laughs> deception. No, misknowing. It it's really. No, you were honest. Be. You were honest about it. You were yeah. honest about it, but then you okay. went back. But yeah, because I tested you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for having me on this great. Institute. No, this is, I. I feel this is you. You mindful. You know, mind well, rolling. Mind rolling. You. you know, somebody. Somebody's just started a podcast called Mind.com or something. Um, really? So, Let's yeah. sue them. Let's <laughs> sue them, and then there'll be another one called Rolling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you for listening or watching, everybody. And um, keep in touch with the Be Here Now Network and with HeartMind. I'm doing a promotion for you because it's, oh, it's appropriate. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, everything around the... Um, we have a big HeartMind announcement coming up, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to... Well, it was never... We couldn't afford to get it... Uh, as an Android uh, download, oh, you know, uh, really? and uh, yeah, yeah, right. I remember that. Yeah, yeah right. and we finally did, and now we're just uh, in the final testing stages. And uh, maybe some of you, because you get on our mailing list, you guys, uh, mm -hmm. go to Be Here Now Network, and, and you know, you get a, I think, a nice Sharon meditation when you sign up, Sharon Salzberg. So yeah, get on the mailing list. And by the way, would you please go up to iTunes and you know, put some reviews in, all that kind of I, stuff I never even think of. I don't know. I'm thinking of it right now because it'll help uh, with the profile of mind rolling. Yeah. Um, yeah, it does help. I mean, I just did a review of a candy for Amazon because I know the owner of the candy factory. No, it, no it's wholesome, very good candies. Oh. And I wholesome they were, candy. Well, no, 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 Amazon's weird. They put as the first thing on it, you'll see the Lakers, don't worry. On the very first thing, they put a one star for these candies and said they were soft and stale. I had them and they were great. And I know the owner of the company. So I wrote. Okay, what's a, the name? A, a, Who are they? What's the name? It's Glitterati, they're called. Glitterati. Glitterati? What kind of candy? They're hard candies. I oh, mean, yeah? they're like little tiny jewels. They're very, very small. Oh. And they come in big bags of like 500 of them. They're not that expensive, and they're and if you read them, there's no GMO, there's no nothing like that. Um, you know, but I, the do they satisfy was, the gratification for sugar? But it's a tiny bit of sugar. So you know what I'm saying is, go to Heart Mind on your phone. I mean, I just said screw phones, so ridiculous. I use it on my phone because you know there you are on some form of transportation or waiting for somebody, and you got half an hour you suddenly didn't have. Check your phone and look at that, and somehow or other there will be transformation. Yeah. And we're putting a lot of uh, more meditations. We're going to have an exclusive, David, meditation, yeah. which uh, Justin Beretta of Glitch Mob, who did already did one meditation with Ram Dass, he did another. 
uh, using a, uh, a meditation of Ram Dass's and put this incredible music behind it. And it's going to be available exclusively on the HeartMind app. So everybody yep. sign up so we can let you know when that app is uh, going to come out as an Android and also have all these new features. Boy, this is terrific. You, you got us to do a whole commercial yeah, around the app thing. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dave. It's all right. <laughs> we'll see everybody on Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network next week. <laughs>